Welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM and Cellar Door Project's Shortwave Theatre Festival Talkback Series with your host, Mariah Horner, the Shortwave Festival Director. In this fun, informative series, you'll have the opportunity to follow Mariah as she gets the scoop on the behind-the-scenes process of making radio theatre with the artists that have made each Shortwave Theatre Festival play possible. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget to visit shortwavetheater.com to learn more about our amazing plays and artists, and stay locked into 101.9 FM for the next performance, happening all week long. So, welcome to our talkback series for the Shortwave Theatre Festival, brought to you by CFRC and the Cellar Door Project. I am super stoked tonight to be joined by Liam Bidmead, the director of Revolution Has Failed, and Rob Downs, the playwright of Revolution Has Failed. So hello, Liam and Rob. Thank you so much for joining me. Hiya. Hello. (laughs) So stoked that you're joining me today. I thought this would be a good opportunity to get to know a bit about the two of you. So starting with Rob, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? How long have you been Kingston? What's your relationship to playwriting? Sure, sure. Well, um, I spent, I've spent about nine years in Kingston altogether. Um, I've been a playwright for two, over 27 years. Um, and I have. this is the first time I've ever worked on anything of this nature. So it's very exciting for me. Um, I, I'm very happy to be part of the uh, this project. And from the beginning, I thought it was a great idea. And ironically, it worked out well with the whole COVID thing that, that uh, we could do this didn't it? I mean, I found myself so many times this year, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I've been trying to find ways to express that, you know, this isn't really an opportunity because we know that the pandemic is terrible, but it really did open up some doors and our eyes for new exploration. I mean, you were just talking about playwriting for 27 years, and this is your first step into a new medium of radio theater. I mean, maybe you didn't know the pandemic was coming, but maybe you did. And where are you joining us, by the way, from, uh, Rob? I'm joining you from uh, my new home in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, the Sioux as it is known. Um, we just uh, left for uh, a few family reasons. Um, we love Kingston, but we just decided to make a move for the family. So we're, we're up here and we've got relatives around us and uh, it's going pretty well. Oh, that's so great. I mean, we do miss you though. Like I'm happy for you, but I'm also a little bit sad. How are you, Liam? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What is your relationship to directing? How long have you been in Kingston? What's your favorite garden vegetable? Oh gosh, good questions. Let's start with the garden vegetable. Um, I love kale, but I also love tomatoes and um, beans. So going a little bit about myself, um, I uh, went to school for musical theater. uh, I graduated about five years ago. Um, moved home after that, which is just north of Toronto, near Aurelia. And I uh, moved to Gananoquay about five years ago now. This will be my fifth summer here. Um, and just uh, slowly have actually been shifting my focus. Uh, I went uh, for acting um, and I, hadn't, uh, I was going to Toronto quite frequently when I lived here, about two to three times a week for auditions. Um, I joined the, uh, I joined ACTRA. Uh, a few years ago and then my focus has kind of shifted now uh, back into directing which is kind of what I had started with before going to post-secondary. I had started my own company at 14. I was producing productions from that age and then after that I decided to go on to uh, train as an actor 
but ultimately my heart is uh, in directing um, from that side of the table. But also uh, I think that uh, we'll get more into this, I think, as we talk more, but tonight, uh, more tonight. But I think like how my view of directing has changed and, um, you know, theater in itself has changed and it's an, an exciting journey. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of go forward and see what happens next. That's so great. Yeah, I'm very glad to have caught you when we did because I do really see you as an artist who is kind of always looking ahead at what's next. So it's really exciting for, for me to find another reason to work with you. So, Rob, you touched on this a bit beforehand, but I am curious. When we released the call for Shortwave on the internet, you know, we need radio theater playwrights. What was it that really drew you into this project in the first place? Um, honestly, it was challenging myself because I, I'd done... Um one play in the past which was about radio theater about the old the 1940s and uh um shows like the the you know the shadow and all that and i'd always had an interest in it but i'd never quite taken the leap into fully embracing it and so when this came along it was just an, a chance to go okay let's i've been thinking about this for years let's do it let's try this out let's let's experiment with something that i'm not perhaps as comfortable with and and not as uh used to and it, it was just a great opportunity to to play i think really and uh just explore what can be done with the uh with the medium which i hadn't really done before i'd always loved it i was i love radio theater but i've never i've never jumped in and and done my own so and i mean i'm curious because i think okay i think maybe i'm making this up Rob, you did a lot of fringe in your day too, right? So one of the things that I love about both of you as artists is your willingness to say, I want to try a new thing and I want that trying to be broadcast on the radio. You know, there's a kind of unpreciousness at play with the fringe mentality and I think with radio theater too. There's a freedom to, to play and experiment. And I, I mean, I hope this was a meaningful exercise for you as a playwright, Rob. It was definitely, um, you know, and it, not to like not to downplay any anything and like I love I love traditional theater but when you've done it for a long time and and you've explored a lot of that in yourself you you, you don't get bored but you know you you know you you know what tricks you can pull and how you can do things and mm. and ways to to f sort of fool around with the medium so when you're when you're given a new medium to work with and you suddenly have to think in a completely different way and, and try to imagine how is this going to come across how is it all going to sound in the ear versus seeing something on stage um it's a it's a heck of a lot of fun to I, I think it's a lot of fun to challenge yourself and go let's give this a shot and and you know the the there's a bit of a terror of yes I'm gonna put this out there and hope that <laughs> it goes well but um or I hope that it's well received anyway but um I don't know it's just just the thrill of of trying something new it, it keeps keeps it interesting and keeps keeps you sort of fresh and 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 uh, I guess testing your limits, trying to find new ways to, to look at stuff. Yes, and I hear this and I'm like, okay, this is a challenge, Rob. What other weird kind of festival can we dream up that's another medium? <laughs> so what about you, Liam? Why radio theater for you? Why did this roll across your inbox and you said, heck yes? Um, you know, I've actually always, uh, I think it was about a year ago, um, and I just randomly in my head, I, I got into Sylvia Plath and I uh, really dug into her work and one of her radio plays, uh, Three Women, um, 
really kind of intrigued me. And then I started listening to a few more BBC uh, radio broadcasts from like the 50s and 60s. Uh, and I've always had this interest to work with uh, radio theater because, you know, uh, theater is a language medium and it's how we communicate with each other and how we communicate a story um, and a journey and how we take people on that. And that really interested me in focusing on, again, what uh, Rob's mentioning about the medium is that it's like, it's, it, it's a similar medium. It's the same as theater, but it's also stepping out of that boundary. And I feel like the vulnerability and this feeling of being exposed to a larger audience is like daring and risky and kind of pushes us as artists into this like direction of like taking these huge risks and it, risks and and just going for it and, and knowing that we're kind of stepping on eggshells as we go through the process because it's like this uncertain unfamiliar uh, process that we are working on so it's kind of I guess the the thrill and the danger of radio theater that really interests me I'm going to be honest, I did not expect both of your answers to this question being thrill and danger. I just love it. It's like the hot, sexy thrill of radio theater. No, no, I do love it. Because, I mean, I, I guess I think it's true. There's something that's really unprecious and playful and open to the kind of failure that is always attracting us as theater artists. I think one of the things that's curious about your work, Liam, is that I know that you're also a composer and a sound designer. And although we did work with the amazing Allie Dixon as a sound designer on this show, I also couldn't help but think, oh, God, what a great skill set as a director to also be able to, you know, not just to communicate through radio drama, but also to have some of those tools yourself. And what's interesting about the, the, this is that actually for a show that I worked, two shows that I worked on last year, uh, Typographer, The Typographer's Dream and Pool in the Water, Typographer's Dream, there's literally no staging. They are seated at a desk the entire um, piece. So this for me was actually, I didn't feel like I was really stepping out of the kind of my process. It was very much focusing on the language, the intention um, and focusing uh, on establishing the world of the play, which is very um, now familiar to a lot of us. But I think at the time when we first initially looked at the script, it was like, this is very interesting and, and cold and damp. Um, and that's what you have the power as a sound designer and through radio theater is that you have the full power to create this world. Um, you know, in, in this piece specifically, we focused a lot on the environment and where which spaces they are occupied in for each scene. And that's really important on the ambience, but also what's happening in the background, the temperature of the room, the texture, um, and all that kind of plays together. And I really was so excited to work on that part as well. Uh, not just directing, it was like creating, you know, the space for each of the scenes and, and the entire piece. And Rob, I'm curious about your process because I think I remember you telling me, or maybe you said at the beginning of this call, that you'd been thinking about this piece for a while and then there was a shift towards putting it on the radio. I'm curious, what kind of new considerations as a playwright did you bring in your work to adapt this to radio? Um, well, I mean, yeah, the, the idea sort of sat in my head for a long time and I didn't know what to do with it. I just had this image of a guy um, racing into, I mean, initially I think it was a stage vision in my head of a guy racing through a door and basically being like, okay, we got to go. Everything's falling apart. This has failed. And I didn't know what to do with it. And it sort of sat and sat and sat. And when this came along, um, I realized part of the, what would work uh, for radio is, is that sort of the, the, the intensity that you can create by just listening, like by, by having people listen to a situation rather than see it. And 
Um, once I sort of focused on on the fact that it would just be heard, um, it opened up a lot of avenues and it opened up a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have explored if it had done it as a stage play, because it would have been. Um, I tend I tend to I'm not a person who likes unless necessary. I don't like switching locations. I like to. I like plays that sort of take place in one one spot. I, I can't stand watching stagehands come out and change sets in the dark and move around that. And it's just me. I have no offense to the, there are lovely plays out there that <laughs> have that, but my own writing, that's the stuff I, I don't look for. But in something like this, it was, it was quite freeing almost to realize like, Hey, I can go outside. I can change the location. I can, you know, through, through the, the beauty of just the sound, we can uh, we can do a lot more things, and they can be listening to what's hap like the, the the characters. They can listen to what happen what's happening, and they can feel off of that. And it's just the stuff that you can play with in the world of just sound was um, I don't know. It just really opened it up. It was really exciting. Anything from you on that, Liam? I mean, specifically with the process of you know script going from playwright to director, the new considerations there. I love that Rob brought up intensity. You know, the intensity of listening. What comes with listening for you as a director, Liam? Um, listening, I think, is the biggest challenge for every actor and every piece. Actively um, listening and being present. And the challenge with this was being able to actually listen and be as present as possible in the moment. And that, I think, was a challenge for everyone um, on this piece was... Uh, especially in our rehearsal process is that we weren't presently in a room together. We weren't engaging with each other in a physical manner in a physical space. We were dealing with each other in a virtual space. So we, we were we had to really, really listen to each other. And I think that that is one of the most valuable things that I could take away from this and going forward with any piece worked on in this, um, this time um, is if we're working not together or even together, it's just really listening to each other. I mean, I know, and, and this is a great segue because I was going to ask Rob, like, how does it feel to be someone who can kind of predict the future? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not really, but I'm, I'm curious. You wrote this piece, and I mean, it's not like these movements and these politics are new at all, but it's just kind of really coming up to the surface of our awareness this summer. So I'm curious, how do you think that the piece changed or enriched or like complicated all of the things that 2020 has been for us? Oh, I, I, I can't even, I mean, it, <laughs> it was a lifetime ago that I wrote it now after everything we've been through. Um, it, I mean, initially the, the idea, uh, the, the sort of major push for the piece was, was that here we are in, in Canada saying, you know, we, we all watch the, the, the States and I know like we're all sitting here watching what's happening in the States every day and going, Oh my gosh. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, we're so lucky to be here. But we're not that far off from them in many ways. And we have a couple of perhaps things that are a little better. We don't have a, a you know, dictator in, in the, the higher ups running things like a, a crazy man. But uh, <laughs> we, we are pretty close to where they are in many ways. And, and that's what I think the initial idea of the play when I wrote it was, kind of to say like, look, we are not that far off. All it would take is a couple of steps down the rabbit hole and we're in a bad place too. But that was at the time of just looking at, frankly, it was just looking at Trump and just looking at the way the world was going. Um, 
and then the pandemic hit and and we did go further down the rabbit hole and not perhaps quite as far as the play but but we're getting closer every day and 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 what's i mean it's in some ways it's good to be right but not really (laughs) i don't want to be right i don't want to be clairvoyant on that um, I, I think I was trying to make it from a place of, of, uh, you know, pay attention or we are going to end up there, but I still think that applies. I think we're just, we're just that much closer to going off the deep end than we were back when I wrote it. And that it, I'm more terrified of what's coming up in the world now than I was then. And that's horrifying to me because I was pretty terrified then. Yeah, I mean, and I think what you're bringing up, Rob, is such a good point. I think you're right. Not only has the summer, like, you know, shed a light for a lot of white people about issues that have always been a reality, but you bring up such an interesting point about Canadians sitting here so often and saying, not us, we don't have these systems, this is an America problem. That's been a real reckoning, too. Many of the things that we criticize the states for, we're really not that different, and there's lots of proof of that. And it's been a real political understanding in Canada this summer, too, recognizing that we aren't that different. So I'm curious, Liam, as a director, how did your rehearsal room, like, I mean, I know you you work to define virtual space as a space. So how did you wrestle with the idea that you were staging a political play? How did that enter your room? Um, again, going back to radio theater being this risky um, thrill, I think that goes with politics as well, is that, you know, this obviously has a very opinionated, um, sided argument. And obviously there are going to be people that don't agree or who do agree. And that's just the world of politics, you know. Um, Polarization, um, I think, more clear than ever of two sides to everything that's happening in the world. And we aren't any different. Canada is pretty much, you know, we're just a bit better, but not by much. And um, so really when we were working on this, it was like looking at, looking at the reality in front of us. I think that that's what kind of transpired in the process was being able to really identify what's going on right now and using that. Um, and, you, you know, we, we all, I think we as humans, we all know right from wrong. And I think that we're kind of looking above this entire thing especially living in Canada, we're kind of looking at the U.S. as its own problem. But it, it really, it's going to end up being a problem, and it is our problem. And that's the, that's the scary part. But anything that you work on political as an artist, you are being radical and you're using your voice. And I hope that people that listen to this are, are, are very much on this side and understanding that, you know, again, we, are, we aren't in, in any better place than the U.S. is, and we've got to do something about it. Great point. Leads me to my next question. Both of you, but we'll start with Robert. What do you f- hope that folks take away from their listening of Revolution Has Failed? Wow. Um, the Kind of what we've just been saying, that that we aren't, our problems are very close. Like we, we, we like to think that we're this wonderful country that, that this would never happen. You know, these things would never happen to us. And I don't think it would take that much to tip the balance and to change political, like the, the major political opinions. Um, you know, like in the play, you've got a, a, an entire city wiped out. Well, if you do that, 
that shifts the balance. Every like something, a major catastrophe could change everything. And it, it may not be something like that. It could be, frankly, the, the U S imploding because we're going to go with them <laughs> because we're right next door. And you know, what happens if the world kind of goes in that, in that route, or if our own country goes in that route, how, how much are the people who, who say, Hey, no, I, I'm against the bad things and I believe in the good things. Well, how long is it going to take to shift their opinion of what the good things and the bad things are? Um, you know, the middle class as a, as a group sort of kind of goes with the flow. They're not, you know, they, as, as you, uh, you know, myself as a, as a, as a white man um, sitting here, well, nobody's attacking me. Nobody's saying, nobody's keeping my opinions down. Nobody's, you know, against me, but we have a whole uh, culture that is needs to be fixed and needs to be looked at. And I just, I, I worry and I don't have faith that we are going to go the right way unless we all start talking about it and thinking about it. And I really want, if nothing else, I want people to just to come out of this and discuss it and, and maybe say, Hey, you know, I should pay attention. I should, care about what's going on in somebody else's world even if it's not affecting me directly or as far as i see maybe i should look into this maybe i should do some more research maybe i should talk to people maybe i should see what i can do to help um i think if everybody did that you know it's we could fix some things i mean it's nothing is perfect and no system is ever perfect and as liam said there's always two sides in any political discussion but a lot of these things aren't political they're just human Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just, I want people to go away and talk about it. And even if they're, you know, even if they're on the opposite side of, of the argument that this play puts forward, that's good. Th- that needs to be talked about too. You know, both sides need to, to stop the, um, oh, it's, I'm right. And, and they're right. They're, they're not. And, and look at the human issue and try to fix the, the human connection first before forget the politics let's just be kind people to one another yeah 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 yeah. i mean i do love the soft critique of the middle class in this play it's and it's like you said before it's all through the spaces and the kind of audio worlds that you're building there's that soft hum of the party the clinking of glasses you know it is super easy for me to see and imagine and recognize that party and that world and that party in my own world Oh God, am I one, the one whispering about the revolution in the garage or like which person am I in this party? It's really captured in the play. What about you, Liam? Um, ah, interesting, interestingly enough, I think my, um, my whole uh, relationship with this piece has changed over the last few months, even after we have done anything. But I think this piece for me is how the media influences us. Um, and that is for us to have the responsibility and to stay informed and educated by trustful sources. Um, and I love about this piece is the, the announcer. I think the announcer is probably my favorite character in the entire thing. A, because it was so much fun to mix and play with the sound and developing that kind of character and world. But also that it, it, it's so true um, on how the media has manipulated, but it's also, we all have the power of following who we want to follow and what direction we want to go in. And I think that, the media also has power in, in, in um, changing us and moving us to the other side. So for me, the piece actually, um, 
I really want people to walk away in, in understanding to stay informed and educated um, and to trust uh, trustful resources of where they're getting their information from, what they're hearing, what they're watching, um, but also to use their voice and their privilege and, and to promoting positive change for the world. Another thing that's crazy is uh, Union Square, New York, the, the end of the world clock, they call it, um, is stating that we have seven years left to fix climate change before we have irre irreversible effects. Um, and I think that we all need to wake up. And I think this piece hopefully will wake some people up and understanding that we really don't have much time left. Uh, and things are only getting get worse if we don't, um, you know, be active and, and proactive and, and figuring out a plan for ourselves and how we're going to move forward. And a lot of that um, right now with the pandemic, you know, again, as you said about it, you know, not necessarily a good thing of being an opportunity, but think about all the industries that are changing. Um, a lot of people can work from home now, which is also eliminating our carbon footprint with driving and transit systems. Um, retail is able to ship out, local businesses are able to ship out retail and their products worldwide now. It's becoming way more accessible for people to access resources and counseling through their internet and their computers and their phones. So in some respects, you know, we're changing. This could be a positive thing um, as the piece um, excludes technology because the government has a control over it. But we have the power to adjust and change. And I think that that piece really um, takes that to the next level in discussion. So glad that you brought up that media thing too, because like a month or so ago when I was listening to the first draft, I had that thought of like, oh God, when that announcer starts at the beginning, some people at this radio station will have no idea that this is a play. And like, you know, Diana and I are planning a lot of PSAs, so no one's going to walk into something. But the meta feeling of this, like what's going to happen? What's it going to feel like when we're so confused by the truth in the news to begin with? And I think, you know, I wonder what happens if people just happen upon that in this piece. What's that going to do? And it's and it's a bias as well. Like we're looking at the U.S., the Fox News versus CNN versus, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different views politically on the media spectrum. And, and that is who you follow. And, you know, a lot of baby boomers right now, too, and the generation after that are, are having a really hard time with this because, of the, you know, isolation... Um, and, and, you know, they watch a lot of the, the mainstream news and it's it's scaring a lot of them. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, how much of it is reliable sources? You know, the protests as well in the U.S., like a lot of them, the information is being misconstrued and there aren't logical stories with the footage that have been released. Many different stories. So, you know, it, it's a tactic. Um, it's what we want to believe and what we we understand well and i mean you know it's a tactic it's what we want to believe and i think those are both very true and i think that this kind of double mix about the fact that this play is about media's influence happening on the media can really serve to tell that story in a meaningful way i mean to truth be told i am a little bit afraid of someone just like driving home from soccer practice and then being like oh god is it the end of the world but then it kind of reminds me one of the major movements in the radio theater world was war of the worlds and, you know, that's a bit of the story of what happened in War of the Worlds. It was aired and folks didn't really know if it was real or not. Is War of the Worlds an inspiration for your writing, Rob? It's funny that you brought that up because <laughs> I was just going to say um, that is, would be a major uh, inspiration. Not, like, not directly. I wasn't thinking about it directly with this play. But uh, my grandmother had the recording on record and she had it up at her cottage. And we used to go up there 
in the summers. And I very often as a young uh, boy would put on the record and we were up in, it, it was up uh, I, I blanking on the, on the town. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was on the water. It was quiet. There was just woods behind us. And so basically it's pitch black outside. There's no one around. And you're listening as a kid, listening to the war of the world's broadcast, I get why it scared the heck out of people. It, it terrified me as a child. And uh, uh, so I was, I don't know what, but I was drawn to it. And, and even though it would scare the heck out of me every time um, and I'd sit staring out the window into the woods in the darkness and just and imagine all the horrible things uh, coming for me. Um, but that was such such a powerful piece of radio that, I mean, I can see at the time when you, ha when you don't have connection to the rest of the world and you turn on the radio and you suddenly hear this story about aliens. <coughs> I mean, it would just, it would just be the most terrifying thing. And I, I, I would love, I mean, as much as I don't want to actually scare anybody, I would kind of love if we got that reaction from some people. Um, it would make my day as much as, again, I don't want anyone to actually be, you know, freak out or, or hopefully people would have access to something fairly quickly that they could realize that this is not, you know, actually what's going on. But, uh, you know, it'd be a slight, I guess, perverse dream to <laughs> scare some people. And I mean, what are we theater people doing besides putting our weird dreams out in the world for other people to engage with? <laughs> But that's, and I think, you know, that's probably uh, part of what got me excited about this project too, is just the idea that the fact that they were able to do that. Now, again, I know, you know, media was not what it was, what it is now back then. They didn't, people out in remote areas just had the radio and that's all they were going on. But, you know, the fact that, that radio and, and this sort of thing can get such emotional response out of people made it exciting to want to do this and want to attack a subject like this um, and put it forward and, and hopefully get some, some people a little not riled up, but you know, thinking about it and affected by it. Get them talking. And I mean, that's kind of a little bit about the experiment about this whole festival. You know, one of my favorite things about curating this festival is that these shows are fiercely different from one another. So this kind of experiment of affecting emotions through the radio, we, we're kind of playing with a whole gamut of emotions here. You know, there's the vaudeville clown, kind of chaotic circus business. There's like a really gorgeous sentimental queer love story. The same questions I think that you're asking here about eliciting emotions through this piece, I'm really curious about the festival at large because we're kind of doing that over and over again. Asking that question, you know, of different kinds of emotions, different kinds of stories, different kinds of storytelling, which brings me to my next question. And I mean, again, I, I, I hate calling this pandemic an opportunity because it's not, but yeah, you know, there's been an immense amount of suffering around the world, but you know, I'm wondering if the two of you could talk about your experience with shortwave and how in the moment of the pandemic, it maybe had a bit of space offered you a bit of space to do something creative and give you a little bit of an example. Like I'm a freelance theater artist and I was bartending at the moment of the pandemic and Liam and I had just actually closed a show together and you know, the pandemic hit and I watched my entire industry close and I watched all these gigs dry up and the next year of my life was just gig dropped, gig dropped, gig dropped, gig dropped. Then I sat with myself and realized, oh, wait, no, not all the gigs are dropped. We can totally make and listen to shortwave totally safely. And although, no, it's not like, oh, great, that's an opportunity, but it was a little bit soothing in a way. I'm sure you folks have seen this, but in the last few months, there's been this like weird tone of telling artists to get other jobs and 
this was a real example, you know, shortwave was a real example of, oh no, we can try something else. There is room for us here. I wonder if either of you had similar experiences. We can start with Liam. Um, you know what? I really do think that this has opened a lot of opportunities for indie artists um, that we have the technology and power, we have the technology um, to, to showcase our work and we do have the privilege of working. Now, however, that comes down to the question of can we pay ourselves um, sufficiently enough to maintain and sustain a career in the arts? Um, and I think that, you know, the future is kind of scary because we might lose the public sector of funding and we might have to privatize theater funding and, and artist funding. Um, does that mean it's a bad thing? I don't think so. I think that there's opportunity to grow, but it's scary. So I think that, you know, coming down to this, this opportunity that we're talking about, um, it, it was a privilege that we were able to continue on with this project because it really didn't, it didn't at all limit us or stop us because we were already working on something that was easily transferable to um, virtual rehearsal rooms and the medium itself is also not requiring us to gather in large or gather in spaces together. So it was a privilege and, and, and we were very lucky to that this happened when it did because we were able to continue the project with no stops. Um, you know, looking down the road though, that's, it's a huge question mark for a lot of these not-for-profits. Like look at the Playhouse, for example, like what are they gonna do? They have a lot of overhead expenses. They have their building, they have taxes, they have renovations, they have heat um, and they can't fill their seats. So I think that the future is looking fairly bright for independent artists because we don't need buildings and spaces and all of these overhead costs to create our work. It's about the ideas and the people we're working with and how we utilize live streaming, how we utilize social media, how we utilize spaces like outside, for example, to do and curate theater. Um, and that's the challenge uh, moving forward, I think, is that we just need to adjust ourselves like we have been. And there's no answers. There's no definite of what's going to happen next year or the year after. But all we can do is continue on with creating. And unfortunately, a lot of us um, have to take on other jobs, like you were saying, because a lot of people have lost work because it was solely relied on being in a space, um, on a stage. Um, so I don't know. I think that there's a big future ahead for the theater. I think that this, you know, the theater survived millions of wars and it survived the plague and it survived generations and generations of corruption throughout the world and it's still here. So it's interesting to see how we do this huge switch and maybe this will bring more young people to be more engaged with theater because our younger generations have the technology in their hands to access it and it'll be a more norm for them. Yes, radio theater is what is going to get the young people back to theater. <laughs> How about you, Rob? What did this gig do for you in the scope of being a playwright in a pandemic? Um, well, it's been, I mean, the, the whole thing's been interesting. My, my entire, a lot of my family is affected by this. I mean, uh, myself, I've, uh, being a playwright, I've, I make no money. So I've always had to have other jobs. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's always been my life, but my wife is a, a professional singer and, you know, basically her career dried up, uh, right away. My sister is a costumer, um, in BC and her, she got laid off till next year. Um, you know, all of us, everybody was sort of thrown for a loop, but I mean, there, there are some good sides, which is, 
um, kind of, you know, what you were just joking about, about radio being bringing the young people back. Well, frankly, there's a lot less competing right now with, with us. Uh, there's not shows on the state, you know, you know, there's not tons of shows. There's not tons of things going on that are pulling people away. So hopefully they're going to tune in and actually, and, and listen to this, which is great. Um, but I, I, I think kind of what, what Liam was saying is that I think it's going to really bring out some amazing stuff. Um, I, I, just in, in listening to Liam, I thought about myself and my, my, uh, um, teenage years i went to a very jock high school and we didn't have like we had a drama class and 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 that but we didn't have much to work with we had a cafetorium uh where we all ate lunch and that's we had a crappy stage and the acoustics were terrible um but those of us who who loved theater and loved all that sort of stuff we pushed through and we put on we pulled off things that that uh schools with you know all the high-tech equipment maybe didn't try because they didn't have, they didn't have to, cause they have all this stuff. And I think um, the, the plus side, the opportunity in all of this is everybody stopping and looking at, you know, what are we doing and what is the core thing we're trying to get across and how can we tell it in a different way? And I know as a, as a writer, that's been a big thing for me this year is like, okay, I can't do things that way. Well, what am I, what stories do I want to tell and how can I tell them differently? And, Again, it's that whole thing of this is not a realm I'm used to, but it's exciting to try to figure it out. And yes, it's going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to hurt a lot of big companies because, um, yeah, the overhead, the the all that sort of stuff. And it may for a little while destroy, you know, the live arts as we know it, but they'll always come back. And there's always, you know, as long as somebody is willing to get up in front of a bunch of people and do something, theater art live performance exists and that will never die i mean even if the the world gets wiped out there'll still be somebody standing on one piece of rubble doing a bit <laughs> with a bunch of other people you to know be or about, not to be yeah about how the how the world was and you know there's that play uh mr burns uh about people in the future in the in the post-apocalyptic future yes you know, back to each other about, about, uh, about the Simpsons. Like that's going to happen. It will still exist, but we just, we have to, it's just unfortunate that, that it's put a lot of people in a dire situation. Um, but I think the creativity is the key and it's going to come out in different ways and people are going to find new ways to survive. And I don't, I hate the idea of them saying, Oh, go out and find another job. It's like, no, rethink the way you do things. Yes. Find a new way forward. And yeah, it's going to hurt for a while because we weren't ready for this. We didn't build a system to back up this kind of collapse, but now we've been through it. Maybe we will. Hopefully. I don't know. And I mean, this connects so nicely to what Liam just said, because this idea of trying new things, embracing failure, rethinking the media. I think Liam's right that a lot of independent artists already have that mindset, have always had that mindset. I mean, when I first started making site-specific theater, it was because I couldn't afford a real theater. So I had to adapt. It was an obstacle. Oh, I can't rent this theater, but how much does it cost to rent a cemetery? Zero dollars. So I think that those obstacles can force us to make necessary adjustments to the sector. Adjustments that have always been necessary. Addressing power imbalances, funding structures, inequities that have been a reality for a lot of people in our in our scene. And I think that this pandemic as a disruption has shined a light on the fact that we have really not been protecting and caring about our artists for a long time. 
And we need to think about what new things we can build that will better do that job. So look, it's all ultimately optimistic. So then what do you two think? We're dreaming here. Liam said this to me the other day. Is radio theater the future? Is radio theater the past? What are you two engaging with these days in live performance that's making you excited to do what Rob just said and, and rethink the medium? <laughs> um, I honestly have, have not engaged in a lot of um, stuff. I've actually, I was involved uh, when, when this all happened, I, uh, I, I was involved in a, a Zoom Shakespearean reading. I was involved in a production of my own a short play of mine um, was produced, and uh, so I was involved in uh, in co-directing that. Um, and I I gotta say I have a, a hard time with theater on Zoom is missing that human element. But what I what I take from that is what can we do to make it human what can we do to bring it together and make this something new and i don't i don't know yet um i'm still trying to understand it myself in terms of what i think would be the way forward and 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 the thing to do i love radio and and you know radio theater and i i would love to see that be the way forward i'm sure it's not going to be just by the nature of of our society where we need to be entertained and and, and watch short clips of things constantly <laughs> um but if we could get back to some of that stuff maybe maybe we have to take a couple steps backwards to sort of move forward um but i find i'm very confused right now i don't know the way forward um I'm actually supposed to do a talk in a couple of weeks at a uh, an arts high school up here in the Sioux, and I'm not sure which way I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if. I mean, I know there's a way. I just I'm not sure the best way yet, and I don't. I'm I'm still sort of figuring that out of myself. And since I just moved and and relocated my own life, I've sort of been distracted by getting that together but now i've in the past couple of weeks i've really had to think about it and and it's still a bit of a mystery but i i think the whole failure thing is let's try stuff let's see what works yeah totally and if it fails oh well so what let's try something else as three indie artists here i'm sure you both have made shows to zero audiences or shows that have failed but we've all survived failure it's fine it's fine how about you liam <laughs> We all we all survive. You know, when you're having a panic attack and you're and having a day, you're like, you know what? I've made through a million of these. I'm totally fine. Just calm down. Calm down, sis. Um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of with Rob on this is like, I think at this point for every single artist is to continue to find ways to make make out in your backyard make or do play readings on Zoom, you know, collaborate and still keep conversation between artists and, and try finding ways to create opportunities for yourself that are safe, that are going to comply with our current state and situation. Um, you know, we might be going down into a second lockdown. So it's a matter of being prepared for that and understanding that, no, it's not wise to be, you know, thinking about programming a production in a, in a virtual, in, in a physical space right now, um, you know, I think that ultimately, I think it's just continue to find as much creativity in your life as possible. Um, yeah. you know, I don't think anything is impossible. I think that we all have power, especially as humans to, again, 
shift. That's what we have been, you know, it's been engraved in our genetics for centuries is to be able to shift and adjust. Um, and I think that that's going to be a huge question mark for down the road in the future for theater and the arts is I'm just hoping that this is a time for people to get super creative and, and you know, get clustered up with their creativity and release it in such a way that it's going to be different. And, and you know, I don't know. I'm really excited to see what happens. It's that, as really crazy as that sounds, I'm really kind of actually looking back. I think theater has tired itself out. Um, programming, if you look at programming, especially in regional, in regional theater, it's all programmed for people 50 years and older. We yep. need to engage our young people to the theater because it is an art form that is slowly fading away. And we need to find new ways to captivate and to um, reach these audiences. And, and, you know, and, and being a young theater artist, I think that that's what we need to do is we need to focus on our young people, our young generation, because they're going to carry it on as a tradition. You know, if you look at my parents or any of our parents, their grandparents would have taken them to the theater at um, Princess of Wales, or the, the Panasonic Theater, or sorry, not Pan the Pantages Theater in Toronto. As a kid, they would go to the theater regularly. And if you look at generations now, they are the Netflix generation. They don't need to go to the theater. They have every available film, uh, live stream, album in the palm of their hands. So how do we get that? How do we keep that going? How do we keep that conversation and, um, and get them hooked with the theater bug? Yes, I mean, I am so fascinated with this question. It's one of the reasons that I really resist, you know, when the pandemic started and there were all these think pieces that came out about like, why digital theater is not theater, why we need real people to have real theater. I'm so uninterested in this divide of random people deciding what is and isn't theater. And like Rob, yes, I have been to many a Zoom play that didn't do it for me, but I think they're just all trying to figure out exactly the question that Liam's asking here, which is, what is the theater for the world right now? That makes me feel kind of excited. Also a little bit weirded out. Yeah, I've seen some very weird stuff on the internet this summer. So we're almost at the end of time here, and I wanted to ask you both, as artists in this moment, how do you see yourselves and others supporting the theater scene right now? Is it watching Zoom shows? How can you imagine that we continue to keep the scene alive while we all do this failing and experimenting that you've both been talking about? Um, I think that that's it exactly. We keep we keep watching these shows. We keep because the thing is, I think the reason a lot of these shows are failing is because we're still there's as much as people are embracing Zoom and, and and these sort of things and saying, hey, let's do a play on Zoom, but they're not doing a play for Zoom. They're doing a traditional play. Yes, and mm -hmm. that's the problem. And so I think it's going to take some time for people to understand the technology and what it, what works and what doesn't. And I think we just have to keep supporting each other and saying, hey, yeah, I'll come see you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in your play. I'll I'll listen to your your radio show or your radio play. I'll, you know, I'll do all these things to hopefully, hopefully by doing all this. And again, we're the, they're not failures, but the, you know, the learning as we go through, maybe we, we as a group will come together and go, hey, we've noticed as we watch all these things, these things work and these things don't. And maybe we'll get to that place where a Zoom play is something that people are excited about and want to come in and watch because it's like, holy crap, I haven't seen anything like this. I haven't felt anything like this in a long time. And so I think we just, I think it's just the learning curve. I think we're just still 
trying I, there's still a lot of people as much as our artists are very forward thinking there's still a lot of people hanging on to the traditions of well it's but this is the way it's done and it's like yeah but that doesn't work anymore so what is going to work and i think we're going to start seeing more pieces written to suit the medium and that will hopefully improve our connection with them and i think it's it's I, I don't want to lose our older stuff, but we have to find new ways. Just like, you know, when you take a, a you know, you, you take a, a the, something like the odd couple and you make it the all female odd couple cast. Well, you know, like back in the time when they first did that, that was revolutionary and it changed, <laughs> you know, or putting an all black cast when there was an all white cast before and like stuff like that. Well, we, we haven't quite got to the point where we've, we've, adapted yet but i think we will and i think we're going to see like oh my gosh that zoom production of you know this classic play done this way was incredible and it's going to take it's just going to take time to figure that out yeah i totally like that you're on the money you know i love rob i love your word of advice here is uh be patient as we all learn i think that's you know it almost feels connected to what we were talking about earlier about the play itself that feels not really political that just kind of feels like being a good person be patient. I'm doing a lot of arts advocacy right now and I'm trying to tell funders the same thing. Be patient as artists try totally new and foreign ways of working. We're going to figure it out eventually. And yeah, it might be a Zoom play for now, but we're going to learn. <laughs> so what about you, Liam? How can we support you and your work and how are you supporting the larger theater sector right now? Um, you know, this is a huge, this is a huge, um, I guess, conversation <laughs> for another time, but we'll go into the short form. Um, you know, I'm not worried about, I don't think, I don't think any of us are worried about the content of our artist or the creation or the work that our artists are going to create. Um, because we can all do that from our living rooms at this point. Uh, but I really do think we need to hold our local theater companies and our artistic leaders accountable to provide and to support our local artists, the same as we do as citizens to support our local businesses and our communities. Um, it's the same way of our musicians, whether it's our local photographers, our local contractors, we need to stay economically smart in that regard. But I really do think that in order for us to ever move forward and carry on with being professional artists is to have the support and the opportunities from our companies, which I don't feel a lot of companies are doing. Um, you know, I think there are so many brilliant ideas out there. And if, if, if uh, artistic leaders open up to that, the possibilities of, well, you know, I've been taught or I've worked in theater as a medium of having to fill 300 seats a night. Why don't we focus on building a relationship with young artists who are doing their shows in their living rooms, who are, you know, trying to live, a professional career through the arts and providing them those opportunities to share their voices, but also to collaborate and to open up this conversation of what is theater? What is theater going to be? Because unfortunately we can't go back right now. We will not be able to sustain and carry the arts through if we go back to the model we've been doing for centuries and generations. So I really think that we need to hold our artistic leaders accountable and they need to be supporting us just as much as we are supporting them and going and seeing their shows um, and, and all, everything. I think we all need to support each other, but community at this point, I think, is the most important um, in nurturing and continuing to support our local artists. Gosh, I love this question, Liam. Is the question really what is theater or is the question what is theater going to be? I love that. So, last moment. Shameless plug time. I'm curious. Either of you, anything next that you're excited about? Liam, what's coming down the pipes for you? Your moment to tell us what's going on in your world. 
So actually right now I've been doing a lot of research on post-World War II theater, uh, specifically theater of the absurd um, as a way of escapism and et cetera. Um, I'm really, really curious on exploring that side of theater again, where it was, a, it was taking us out into this dream state of not what our current reality is or was. Um, so right now I'm actually writing a play that's very much an adaptation of Waiting for Godot, Samuel Beckett's, um, that a, is about two ex-lovers stranded in an apartment. Um, so I'm really interested in focusing on the state of our being versus our political and worldwide um, state, if that makes sense. Yes, that feels like such a great exploration right now. Anything for you, Rob? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say, Liam, please keep me in the loop on that. That sounds wonderful. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm very I excited email. about that <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I, I will say that um, Revolution Has Failed was was a kind of an odd one for me. I, I mean, I've made some political statements before, but I've relatively stayed away from the, the, the politics game. It's more been, a, a, I guess, a human politics uh, is my writing style mostly and so i stepped back sort of towards that and i i i've been working on some stuff um i may have a, a play coming up uh toronto um company is interested in something if they have a, a season <laughs> we will see um but um right now i'm just i'm just doing some writing on my own and just exploring a couple of perhaps strangely in the same vein, uh, some more absurd uh, style stuff than I've done in a while. Um, that was where I began. I loved Beckett and, and the absurd. Um, and I, I got away from that as I got older and, and wrote a lot more sort of different things to try stuff. And now I feel like I find I'm kind of going back to that. And again, I think it's all because of all this going on around us. And I'm sure it's probably the same with Liam. Um, when you, you're surrounded by all of this, you start to uh, uh, look more at the human, the personal aspects of things. And I feel like, you know, I'm really focusing in on my family and my, my own personal stuff right now. And I, I feel like I'm getting, back to my roots in in that area and so and i think it's actually the perfect sort of aspect to be looking at in a time like this where we can't do traditional things well let's explore what new thing what new you know genre is going to come out of this but i don't i don't have anything directly coming up i'm just uh sort of noodling around with a bunch of things right now yeah like even to add to that rob it's like we, I think we've all forgotten how to live and how to feel. I think we've, we're so caught up in what's happening in the world right now. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that this has brought us closer together in some ways than it ever has. You know, North America is known, we're known for our, like, you know, mo following the motions every single day, living as a machine. You know, you look at European countries where they, you know, it's, 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 access it's acceptable to show up an hour late for dinner. And I think that this has given us time to kind of just settle down and breathe and not, you know, punch through the movements. So the, I think art really could go that way too, is just like, let's be absurd. Let's be weird. Let's get crazy. Who wants to be in realism right now? Like I think everything that's being done on television right now is so relevant to what's happening. It's like, I don't want to watch anymore. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I want to, I want to disappear into something completely different for a while. And I think, I think the world is going to be more accepting of that again because of the situation we're in. So. Yeah. You know, for me, it's both disappearing into something and using art to imagine new realities. We knew the sector had its woes before. 
So we're going to use the pandemic to make changes and use theater to imagine a new world. It's a very optimistic note for us to end on. Thank you both for joining us for our little like radio theater version of doing a talk back. Um, this was uh, Rob Downs, the playwright of Revolution Has Failed, and Liam Bidmead, the director of Revolution Has Failed. Revolution Has Failed is appearing in the Shortwave Theater Festival brought to you by CFRC and Cellar Door Project. My name is Mo Horner. Thank you so much for tuning in.